0: It's good to be with you all. It really, really is wonderful to have you. I'm mean, going to keep saying it. It's just great to have people back here in the building and corporate worship. There's something very powerful when people worship together that the Western mind doesn't fully comprehend. Even in the Old Testament, where one will send a thousand, two sends 10,000, where two or more are gathered. You know, all through the scriptures, you see this. When two people worshiped in prison, the chains of everyone in the prison fell off. There's something when people come together, Yeah. Mm. So, again, hello to everyone at home. I trust you have your coffee. I'm going to ask you to please go get your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 6. And uh, we're going to carry on. We're in the middle of a series. Uh, this is the third week. I probably will do one more week after this. And I'm talking about the awakening church, the church that awakens, the The Awakening Church, and if you haven't been around for the last two weeks, some of this may not make full sense, and for that, I'm almost apologizing, but I don't. I would encourage you to just go listen to it, and uh, just so you can get some context. But I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into God's Word. Amen? Father, I thank you that your Word is your Word. It comes from your mouth. It has your nature, it has your power, it has your authority, it has your eternity. It's the Word of God. And I thank you that we can come to your Word and see lives changed and the enemy dispelled from us, Lord. Lord, we bless you, we love you, and I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to pierce the hearts of many this morning, those watching and those here, to bring significant change, the type of change, Holy Spirit, that only you can bring. And I thank you for that. I take authority just over this space. And I thank you for the blood of Jesus over this building, over those at home, over our lives. And I just remove right now any impediment any blockage to the revelation of Jesus Christ through his word. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, the Awakening Church. <laughs> it's been a wonderful, this story about Gideon is, is probably one of my just favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's very personal. It actually started, I, I realize I never said this in the beginning. It started years ago. Uh, there was a, a couple who came to us, a prophetic couple, and she sang a song, a prophetic song. It's a powerful time of, in the Lord. And she came to, actually it was my, my father and I afterwards, and she had prophesied in the song about Gideon and so forth. And she came to us afterwards and she said, the story of Gideon will be very important for this church, for the length of the life of this church. And I, for some reason, I wasn't leading the church at that time, but it pierced my heart. And from that day, that was eight years ago, I went and started to dig into this story. And uh, so I have preached this before, but I feel like it's very important, uh, pertinent for this time. And uh, so I'm excited to, to continue in it. And so I cannot recap, obviously, it will just take too long. But it starts off in Judges chapter 6. And it starts with this, verse one, then the children of Israel um, did evil on the side of the Lord and, the, and so the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian. And Midian means strife, strife, I call it the strife of life. And the Midianites gathered together with the Amalekites and with the people of the East and they came against Israel. And as I've kind of shown scripturally, and go back and look at it if you need to, the Midianites actually stand for the surrounding culture. There's a long history that Israel had with them. It's the culture that surrounds the church. It's the system of the world. We we live in the world, but we're not of it, but we do live in it. And so some people's answer is to just remove themselves out of the world. And well, that's actually not the answer. It's to live in it, but shine. And not be of it and so the church when a, a subdued church is when the church looks exactly the same as the surrounding culture and so the midianites represent that pressure that pressure of the culture and they partner with the the malachites and that comes from amalek the grandson of esau and it represents the old nature the nature we are born with the sinful nature the old nature the old man different things the bible calls it and it, and the world will always partner with the flesh so the world will always say, I'm going I'm to rise up, I'm going to put pressure, in a sense, in God's people, and I'm going to reach out to the flesh, and they come together, and the people of the East, it says, they would come in as swarms as locusts, and they would just devour the land, and it's the overwhelming voices. Who knows what it's like to be overwhelmed? So overwhelming pressure, overwhelming voices, and they come together, unfortunately, and it says, whenever Israel had sown. Actually, I'll read it out of the Bible. That's a better option. Whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites, the people of the east, and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth. And so, you know, the church is, is obviously Israel. And so the church is sowing. It's like the church is doing all that it knows how to do, but there's no harvest. There's no fruit. And, and it just comes to destroy. The enemy just comes, unfortunately, to destroy. And in verse 6, it says, so Israel or the church was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Or you could say the church was greatly impoverished because they had been subdued by what surrounded them. And, you know, it's not to rise up against flesh and blood, which I've said many times. It's not to do use the same weapons as the world. It just doesn't help. And so you see a picture here in the beginning of a subdued church, you know? And Leonard Ravenhill, at the end of his life, they asked him what is one of the things that he's most concerned about? And he actually started to cry straight away. And he said, a a sick church in a dying world. And it was one of his greatest concerns, a sick church in a dying world. Because Jesus is the longing of the nations. He is the answer, whether they like that or not, he is. And, um, and so they, we spoke about a cry, and it's all from, straight from the story. A cry begins to develop in the heart for God, for the more of God. God, God, and we spoke about that. And then God actually begins to make this man Gideon, the making of God, and that was last week. He comes, he reveals, firstly, he comes down to where Gideon is. You know God always does it, right? He meets you where you're at. You look at Jesus through the gospels. He meets people right where they're at. It's just the grace and the mercy of, the, of God. And he meets Gideon where he's at. He speaks identity into Gideon, mighty man of valor, when he was displaying all the opposite things. Cynical, offended, depressed, scared, hiding. I mean, there's a whole bunch. Dad issues, a whole bunch, whole bunch of goodies going on. And so God comes to him and says, hey, you're a mighty man of valor. And it's always like that. God will actually speak identity into you. He really will. But then he will also ask you to do something sometimes. And you're like, oh boy. And that's what happened. Mm. He speaks identity into Gideon. Then he commissions him. Have I not sent you? And then most important of all, he reveals himself to Gideon. He reveals himself. Jehovah Shalom. It's one of the names of God in the Old Testament. It's God God of peace, I am peace, Jehovah Shalom. And uh, he reveals himself to Gideon, which is obviously the most important. Then in Judges 6.25, and we're gonna pick it up a bit before that, God tells Gideon to do some things. He says, go do that. We read it last week. Go take your father's bull. Go take the pole of Asherah. We'll read it. It's quite a thing he asks him to do. And the whole story hinges on this moment. And it's like that in our lives as well. Many people have the encounter with God, just as Gideon had. They had the encounter, not his one, but your own one. And that could vary from a moment in a car, a revelation of a scripture to a mighty encounter where, you know, you know heaven appears to you. It doesn't, there's a, all forms of encounter, but the supernatural touches the natural. And many of us leave that conference, that room, that car, that experience, that worship service, and we, we tell of the encounter, but it doesn't end there. You know, it's to learn to keep your ear to the ground. The encounters, all of them, the revelations we get, all of them come for a purpose and a reason. And so God encounters Gideon, <laughs> changes this man. He begins to worship. He builds an altar to the Lord and he begins to worship. So worship is the first thing that is really restored in the land. But remember, if you were just like it is with the church, if you were in the church, or if you were, you know, in in the kingdom of Israel, or they were hiding up in the mountains. If you were there, you would say, well, nothing's changed. But everything's changed. But nothing's changed because the Midianites are still there. They're still being oppressed. But God has been behind the scenes making this man Gideon. uh, Gideon. But there's something. uh, So we we looked at this last week about the altar and the bull and the pole of Ashtaroth. So if you were here, you would have heard this. We're going to look at that again, but from a different perspective. I wanted to do this last week, and I just felt like I I would have rushed it. But we looked at last week. Well, let me me read it. Let's go to Judges 6. I'm going to start from verse 23, and uh, we're going to read probably to around verse 30. And it says, then the Lord, so we're going to pick up the story. Uh, Gideon is sacrificed to the Lord. The Lord, uh, in a sense, reveals that it's him, gives him this mighty encounter, and then this is where we pick it up. The Lord said to him, peace with you. Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon, because he thought he would die because he had seen the face of the Lord, that was something out of Leviticus. As I said last week, it's an appropriate response. <laughs> and uh, he said, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. And to this day, it is still there in Ophrah of the rites. Now it came to pass the same night, the same night, it's very interesting how, you know, we often stop there, like I say, and we, we tell of the encounter. But sometimes we miss the small details that are extremely important. And some of you will know what I'm talking about when I say this. We're worshiping. It's, you know, you, you're by yourself or you're in the, in the meeting or whatever, and you're worshiping the Lord, and God's presence is there. And something comes up in your heart, small little thing maybe, about speak to this person. Go say sorry, or an issue in your heart. I don't want you to do that, or what a small little thing. And it's like we we, we miss it. We push it aside. But sometimes there's something that God will actually bring us to do. We so focused on the encounter, which is good, but it comes to do something, yeah? And we kind of, we, we all do it. It's not an accurate, we all do it. And we just kind of like, yeah, nah, 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 not going to do that. And then we, we carry on with the Lord, you know. But, you know, what's interesting with Moses is he saw the burning bush. See, now, now I'm distracted. Now we're preaching. This is scary. He saw the burning bush. And there was actually something common in that day, which I won't get into now. But it says he, he wondered why it's not actually burning up. They would see them all the time in the desert and the dryness of the heat. And it says, so so he turned aside to see what's going on here. And And then it says, when God saw that he turned aside, God spoke to him. And so often there's something that God will put in our hearts and it's a thought or someone, something says, and it's like, hmm, but we don't turn aside to it. Actually turn aside and give it some study, give it some attention, give it some prayer, and then something changes. That was for free. So, so where were we? Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and the second bull of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image. And we went through last week all that those things mean and what they are. And um, that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image. So go take your father's bull, pull down the altar, cut down the wooden image, cut it up, burn it, sacrifice the bull. It's, I mean, it's quite a thing. And which you shall cut down. You know what Gideon's name actually means? Cutter. Hew down. Yeah, that's what it means. So Gideon took men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And I love that because he's still afraid, but he's obeying. That's called courage. That's called courage. I'm afraid, but I'll do it anyway. And so, last week we looked at that practically, how it was for Gideon, how he would have felt. And it was very practical, I hope, and very helpful to some of us. But Now, I want to speak a little bit about some spiritual things this morning. The church has to begin to be able to see the, the power of spiritual truth here in the Old Testament. Because there's something of a blueprint, not a method, not, it's not always the same, but there's something of a blueprint in this story That is very pertinent to where we are today. Very, very much so. Even the battle they fight, the land that they eventually fight it on, Megiddo, is actually what many theologians say will be where the last battle is fought. So there's something so prophetic of this story. And so you see, first thing I want to mention to you is being positioned for victory. God reveals himself to Gideon, right? Right? God reveals himself to Gideon as what? As Jehovah Shalom. What, is, what are they facing? War. So they're in war and God reveals himself, peace. So Gideon starts to worship God of peace, starts to worship Jehovah Shalom, but his circumstance is war. And so God reveals himself to this man and causes him and teaches him something that how I wish we could grasp and learn. Individually, corporately, nationally, to worship God for who he is, not what he's done. In a sense, God hasn't done anything yet. To worship God for who he is in the midst of contradiction. Very important. Very important. And it's interesting because God is... What happened in in 6, verse 7? You can go back in your Bibles if you want. It says, the children of Israel cried out to God because of the oppression of the Midianites. So they cry out to God. What's God's answer? Himself. He reveals himself. It's always his answer. We cry out to God, come God. So what happens? God gives us a revelation of something to do with him. And we're like, well, you know, I know you're that, I know you're loving, but I don't feel loved. You know, I know you're peaceful, but I don't know. He reveals something of himself and that is the answer. He's at war, so he reveals peace. In other words, I am the answer. I am peace, I am the answer. And Gideon understands that and he begins to worship God for who he is in a sense, before peace has come. And when a person takes what God, I'm gonna read this to you because it's important. When a person takes what God has revealed to them about who he is and begins to worship God privately. And I have people, especially young people, they come to me, what do you mean worship God privately? I'm like, yeah, worship, you know, worship. I mean, you like sing, like by yourself? Uh Uh-huh. Like, raise your arm, like no one's there. Yeah. I mean, I know worship isn't just singing, but it, 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 some people they struggle with that. Well, it, it makes me kind of feel weird. Well, that's fine because we're not worshiping you. You know, so worship. Worship privately and worship what God has made real to you, not head knowledge. What is in your heart, even if you don't see it, and you set up an altar in a sense. You set up an altar, a place in your life, even a physical place in your house, not build an altar, you know, not saying that, but a place that you go to in your heart, in your mind, in your life. You set up something and you worship God privately, secretly, unseen, unknown. It is the way, please hear me, it is the way. It is the way that God positions a person to then dispense that attribute. For everybody else. Friends, if we could see it. Gideon brought peace. He worshipped the God of peace when there was none. It is the way God does that. I encourage you. Worship Him alone. Jehovah-Ra, the Lord my shepherd. When you feel lost, purposeless, worship that. Take Watch your stroke and find God, who's God in this and worship Him for that. It does position a person to actually now dispense that attribute or that part of the Lord because He is the answer. So then He says, as we know, that same night, <laughs> I always imagine that Gideon's like, Are you kidding? You want me to do what? You've seen my dad, right? You've seen how big he is. He's probably going to, you know, cut me down or I don't know. He was afraid of his father. But it actually says, on top of this rock, build an altar to the Lord on top of this rock. Now, very interestingly, this is the spiritual understanding of what's going on here. That word rock in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, is the word mountain. And in the Hebrew, it's the word stronghold. So if you look back in verse, uh, I think I wrote it here, it says here in verse 2, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And on top of that stronghold, it's a physical mountain because that was like a stronghold, a fortress, and today we have spiritual strongholds that are over every city, and we have strongholds in people's lives. God is the stronghold, but the enemy, the Amalekites, the flesh, the culture, it keeps setting up strongholds in our mind, in our heart. It's the way we think. It's, it's uh, an entire region, a geographical region can be under a principality and power. The Bible talks about it. Strongholds. So that they're living in a stronghold and on top of the stronghold. They stick Baal and this Astaroth pole, which is the Midianite god of war and love. It's the dumbest thing. We're fighting the Midianites, so we're going to put their god of war on top of our stronghold. I mean, we think that's crazy, but as I said last week, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We, we start to look to the same answers that the world looks at. or we'll start to use the same weapons. So God essentially comes to Gideon here and he says to him something quite, he says, go tear down the stronghold. Tear down the stronghold. Now, (laughs) Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that actually is heavenly places, but it's also high places all through the Old Testament. They would seek out physical high places and set up altars. and, And in a sense, that would start to set up spiritually strongholds over different regions. It's like that still today. Not so much the physical. Some countries are like that still, some uh, cultures. But in the spiritual, there are strongholds. And here God says to Gideon, take a group of men. Well, that was Gideon's choice. And go and actually tear down a super, tear down a stronghold that is influencing the thoughts of everyone in the region. And that's what Gideon does. It's actually what he does. You know, that word, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the world, the Greek there is kosmokratos, cosmic power. And the Bible says that you, believers, have the authority to deal with some of that. So we have to understand, but it's not us. You see, it's not us, it's him. See, obedience and submission becomes important when you're at war. because you know you you can't, you know, but he can, and you're his temple. And so he says to get in, go tear down a stronghold. It's to take back, the church has to start to take back the high places, not against flesh and blood, not using carnal weapons, but take back the high places and learn how to do it in the spirit. It's prayer. It's worship, it's intercession, but with some spiritual knowledge. Otherwise, it just goes on and on. Actually, go to the places, speak to the the right things, and start, be trained to bring strongholds down. And it sets people free to think, to have clarity, to see suddenly it's like it removes the obstacles. And friends, the church, it's... (laughs) I'm not not upset with anyone, it's just a passion of my heart. We need to remember what, what it is to do that. Because most believers just wait for someone else to do it. And to tear those strongholds down in our families, in our own hearts, in our own lives. And it's often comes after the encounter. God says go, and we don't think it's a big deal. Sometimes it's the smallest thing and God puts it in our heart, go do this. And we just forget, we don't realize that little thing, a massive door swings on that little hinge. It's a small little thing. And God says, "God do this, because you're beginning to tear down strongholds. And it doesn't come quick. It's not just an event. sometimes it's a season. It's a season. And you go again to the altar of worship and enthrone him again on the praises of who He is, before people can see that thing actually coming to pass again and again and again and again. And you begin to tear down a stronghold. What actually happened there, there's an old quote, and fortunately it sounds like fleshly works, this quote, but it remains true. The heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. You know, crying out to the Lord day and night. And he has Gideon crying out to God for a night. He spends the whole night, in a sense, take it into the New Testament, interceding, dealing with actually demonic things, speak, praying, worshiping God. He spends the night. And I don't know if any of you have spent, I'm sure some of you have. You know what I'm talking about. The wrestle in the heart Sometimes, I mean, it even happened to me last week. I spent a couple hours doing some of this, and just it was like there was God was not in the room. It was like concrete ceiling, concrete walls, it felt like nothing. And it's just pure faith sometimes. There's no presence, there's no just because of what your word says. And then God breaks in. It's, it's beginning to understand and beginning to take back the high places not with carnal weapons, and pull strongholds down. And Gideon spends the whole night doing this, right? With, in a sense, one revelation, one part of who God is. So we think we need to be encountered, to be empowered, to have the mantle rest upon him. There was no mantle yet, we'll get to that. It was just, in a sense, they had nothing more than one aspect of who God was. Now I say, I'm not diminishing God but we have a lot more, you know? And that's all that he had. Because a whole generation, you go read the last verse of chapter five, 40 years, There was in a sense, rest in the, it rest in Israel. 40 years they had, people hadn't seen or heard from the Lord. There's a whole generation like we have now. And so Gideon spends all night tearing down strongholds, praying, crying out. And look at the response, just spat on the pulpit, sorry. Look at the response of the people. And why is he afraid? Just by the way, why is he afraid? It says he's afraid of the men of the city. Who's that for us? That's the church. People in the kingdom of God, people in the kingdom. What is the church going to say if I start to do this or pray like this or worship like this? What are they going to say when they hear, you know, he's just, you know, it's just a little, he's got a little too far, you know. It's a little bit extreme, you know. What's my family going to think? He said he was afraid of his father's household. <laughs> so he does this, and then in verse twenty-eight, we'll read, "It says when the men when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, the wooden image that was beside it cut down. The second bull was being offered on the altar." which had been built. I mean, imagine waking up to that. That's quite a day. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city, the other Christians, the other churches, the other believers said to Joash, excuse me, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. The exact same words that God told him to do. You know, when you have a subdued church, the church persecutes those who obey the Lord, unfortunately. It's exactly what God told them to do. And the religious system came against him. You know, and <laughs> it's interesting people's response. They're extremely offended and enraged. And in fact, they want to kill him. It sounds a lot like, Jesus, Gideon's been making a way, opening a path, dealing with demonic stuff, pulling down false gods, using courage, but he's afraid. Well, Jesus wasn't afraid. Jesus comes, makes a way, opens the path, takes everything, rips open the separation, and they crucified him. They're shouting that here, kill him, kill him, kill him. You know, and all he did was, God, I did what you said. I, I did what you said. And then apparently he's afraid again because they said to Joash, bring out your son, which means he's hiding in dad's house again. Right? That's exactly what happened. But what's interesting is what happened in verse seven, the children of Israel, like I said, cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. We, we, we read that. So this, friends, hear this, is God's answer. They cry out to God. God says, I hear your cry. I will go and start to deal with this guy. I will make him, I will shape him, I will raise him up. I will show, who, show him who I am. And then I will tell him to go and tear down the things that are actually the problem. So they cry out to God, God answers, and they are mad and they are offended and they are not happy. And how often is it that we cry out to God, but are offended at his answer? Because in our mind, it doesn't relate to what we're praying for. We cry out to God and he answers. And we're mad, we're offended. Because that has nothing to do with that, God. You know, I can imagine the rhetoric that was happening. Gideon, what are you doing? The, the enemy's over there, buddy. Why are you dealing with us? That's not even your stuff. How dare you? You know, I have rights. You can't do that. How, how dare you? The, what are you doing? It's not the time. Okay, maybe we shouldn't be worshiping. Maybe we should, but it's not the right time. What are you doing? We're getting sub, subdued by these people. <laughs> Sound familiar? crying out to God, he answers, and they're mad. (laughs) When God comes to revive the hearts and passion and devotion to him, he breaks all things that ties believers' hands and hearts first. And often we can't see it. He comes to smash the things because he actually wants to use you to destroy the enemy. Because he made you, and he knows you more than you know yourself. And he wants to speak identity into you and reveal himself to you. So he raises up an answer. They don't like the answer. That is, unfortunately, often the people's response. Now, why? I say it's the people's response. Actually, and this was a trick. I planned this. It's the enemy's response. Actually, he's the one behind Why do I say this? If we could grasp this one truth, this one truth, the enemy's response when he loses, when he loses a foothold in a person's life, when he loses a stronghold in a region, when he loses a battle that was raging in a person's heart, anytime he loses, he has the same response, division. 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 Whenever the enemy loses, he will bring division. He will come to divide every time. And God's people fall for it every time because he partners with the Amalekites, the flesh. Ah, Do you know what they did? I don't think you deserve that. I don't. Division, division. Allow that revelation to sink in. The enemy's response when he is defeated, when he has lost a high place, is division. The enemy's response when he has suffered a loss is division. The enemy's response when we begin to worship God for who he is, is division. He divides the house. The actual people of God fighting within the walls while the enemy continues to just ravage the land. They're not even worried about him anymore. Now they're destroying each other. Let's say, say this with me, but Joe Ash. Yes, we love this guy. We love this guy. He's a good guy. My sons are always fighting goodbye, good guy, bad guy, permanently. Permanently, I, I know I've said this before, really funny. My little son, he was three at the time and he's smashing these two toys together. Goodbye, good guy, bad guy. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just quite extreme. And, uh, and he, my, my mother was there and he's just about, as like really, it gets intense. And he looks and he says, Nana, look away, <laughs> look away. And then, you know, this is, this is too serious for you, Nana. It's just awesome. So, but Joash, it says, but Joash, uh, where are we? But Joash said, verse 31, to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him, for Baal, be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day, he called him, him being Gideon, Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. But Joash, I'll talk talked to you very briefly about, I forgot what time I had started, so I apologize. I'll try and end by 11.30. The necessity of fathers, we'll call it that. This Joash wasn't a leader. He wasn't the the intense prophetic voice. He wasn't the, the mighty evangelist. He was someone's dad. You know? And Gideon's been up tearing down strongholds. And now they want to kill him. He's won a mighty victory in the spirit realm. Massive victory, just like Elijah. Then he had to run away. And this guy, oh, I love him. He stands up and he says, actually, actually, he says, what everyone you know, when someone says what everyone's thinking, but no one has the courage to say it, he just says it. Guys, we shouldn't be doing that anyway. <laughs> that's not our God. He doesn't get, I wrote it like this, instead of Josh becoming insecure, that it was someone else who God used and that it was someone else who actually did what he should have done. It was his Baal and his wooden image, Ashtoreth Paul. And he stands up. It's the voice of fathers and he brings the family together. We desperately need spiritual mothers and fathers throughout the body of Christ that are not trying to lead from behind, not trying to control, not trying to... They are secure. And they, they, they come around those, in a sense, who are doing some of that. They need fathers. They need mothers, no matter how old they are. The necessity of a father's voice in the house, in the land. And this secure man... Comes along and actually steps in front of them and he renames his son Jeroboam. And Gideon, his identity now is born. God said, You will be a mighty man of valor. Midianites are still there, but now an identity is starting to form and he becomes known. So everywhere he goes, he's a reminder of the powerlessness of the false god. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's a reminder of the impotence of the enemy. Everywhere he stands, people say the enemy lost, the enemy lost, the enemy lost. You know, it sounds a lot to me like Matthew 16. Who do people say that I am? Some say this, but you are the Christ. Revelation of what? Who Jesus is before he went to the, who he is. He says, oh, on this rock, on the rock of revelation of who I am, I build my church. And when they worship me for who I am, a revelation of who he is, the gates of hell will not prevail. Everywhere the church goes is a reminder of the impotence of the enemy. But first we have to take back some high places. <laughs> and then sometimes we need people, that weren't there with us in the intense moments, fathers, practical, good, just practical people. You know how many? Hmm. <laughs> wondering if I should say this. The church has to get better globally at seeing great and mighty men and women of God rise up and tear things down and change and shape nations and they know God and, and then they make a mistake. And we throw them to the scrap pile because there was no Joash for them. There was no one who would stand up and say, you made a mistake, but we've never done what they've done. We've never faced the enemy in his eye and actually won. Again and again, over people, over regions, over churches. And they make a mistake. We're like, well, can't believe you did. Aghast. Oh my goodness. We've never experienced that level of attack. We've never experienced the forces of hell like that. When you're standing in the gap for a nation. You know? And they make a mistake. Sometimes a big one, sometimes a small one. Today, it's as little as a like the wrong tweet, and we throw them aside. There's no Joash. There's no fathers. (laughs) Real fathers emerge under pressure, friends. Hirelings run when there's pressure. That's when dads come up. And identity is born. And so the enemy sows division, division, division. Did you ever consider that division is a sign of the enemy's fear of an awakened church? I'll say that again. Did you ever consider that division in the land is a sign of the enemy's fear of an awakened church? That's what it is. Look at our land right now. (laughs) Someone's afraid. And it shouldn't be us. I'm going to carry on because I'm having some fun here. Judges 6. This is very important. We're going to go to verse, where are we? Verse 32. Then, therefore, on that day, they called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites, you see, while this is going on, nothing's changed but everything's changed in the hearts of people. They've been bound together. They've seen something, there's clarity in the church again. Things, they're beginning to be positioned for victory, but the enemy doesn't know it. Nothing's changed on the outward, nothing. They're still there, they're still attacking them, they still, and so the Western mind comes along and says, well, none of this is true because look, it's all still happening. That is such a Western mind. Everything behind the scenes has changed. And he says this, then all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Well, that was a mistake. You know what Jezreel means? God sows. So here these people come, and it says they encamped against the Midianites, and any time the children of Israel would sow, they would come and destroy the produce of the earth. And then they come and they line up for battle in a place that says, God sows. It's like God says, that's enough. It's enough. Sorry. It's not smart to take a stand against El Shaddai, almighty God, in a place that says God sows. It's like the Bible says he arouses himself as a man of war. And that's coming when he says, that's enough, enough. And they gathered there in that valley. But you know what? God sows people. You ever consider that? He sows people. So he looks, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it dies, in a sense, if it's, there's a cost to the person, and God's looking for those men and women, can I sow you? Will you die for me? Can I sow you? Then he finds a man. He says, oh, "I found one who will obey when he's afraid. I found one who will worship me before I act. I have found one. It was my heart. Now we can act. God only needs one. Just one. And he finds this man and reveals himself." And he sows Gideon, he sows this fearful guy. And when God shows up, everything changes. He just needs one. And then lastly, it says here, but the spirit of the Lord, I'll read it again, verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the East gathered together the flesh, the culture, the system of the world, the overwhelming situations, and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the rights that was his father's household, the people that just wanted to kill him, the Abizrites gathered behind him. rights means my father helps. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The Abizrites gathered behind him, And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they gathered behind him. You know, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. We read that a lot in the Bible and we're like, okay, we don't realize what that looks like. There's an entire generation of people here that have never seen this. This is a mantle. The authority of the divine that rests upon a person as a coat. When the Spirit of God rests upon a person, you notice it. Because there's the authority that starts to settle. There's an entire generation of people here that have not seen this before. And all of a sudden, the counterfeit that they were worshipping, now they think that's nothing. And they very quickly, very easily let go of all the stuff that they loved and that had the attention and the affection and the distractions and they get rid. Why? Because the authentic has showed up. And the Spirit of God resting on an individual. Just one man. In the New Testament, friends, it's on us. And a mantle, in a sense, is born. Can I say often, we think so many people long for encounter, that's good, so do I. But we think mantles come from encounter. No, they come from obedience. (laughs) They do, do you know? People in Israel, they saw God on the mountain. Exodus 34, they had dinner with him, the 70 elders of Israel. I mean, it's too crazy to make up. And they went down and made a golden calf. Encounter, no mantle. Comes from, what do I do out of it? And when the Lord begins to make and move and shift and shape people. And then the spirit of the Lord shows up. God shows up. Oh boy, that's so different. God begins to move. God begins and then he blows the trumpet. That's actually a declaration of war. This guy who was hiding, he stands up, takes probably a horn or a trumpet and he blows a trumpet. That's the gospel. The clarion sound of the good news. There's a vision again in the land. There's a gospel again in the land. There's the gospel of the power of God again in the land. And it says all the people that want to kill him, now they gather behind him because now they've seen God on him. And they had never seen that before. I bet you there were old men there that wept said, ah, oh, I forgot what this is like. It says all of Manasseh, that whole, in a principle, what does Manasseh mean? We went over in the first week, to forget. All of those that had forgotten, they remembered God. They remembered who they were. And that's what the church needs. Remember who he is and remember who you are. And let the trumpet begin to sound with clarity, with purpose, and begin to tear down some strongholds. We need to take back high places. We need to remember that when the enemy please, if you leave with anything, leave with this. When the enemy comes with division, it's his, his afraid. Don't fall for it. In your marriage, in the church, with authority figures, Don't fall for it, friends. It's his mind. It's his way of doing things because a divided house won't stand. So it means he's afraid. It gets me very excited for what's coming because he must be very, very afraid. Fathers in the house, and by that I mean mothers and fathers, just spiritual parents, some prophets, some evangelists, some of these people, they need places to go sit and do nothing and be scared even, just rest And just sit in a family that don't have it, you know? And we need God in our midst. I'll leave you with a quote. John Wesley, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, but such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. That is true. Bless you. Can I pray for us? I I don't know, Dad, do you have a response at all? You don't have to? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't have a mic. Thanks for those who are online. I'll just quickly bring it into, Ephesians 3.10 says, that the manifold wisdom of God think of this, just what it's been preached, the manifold wisdom, the many-sided, glorious, manifold wisdom of God, will be known to the principalities, powers and rulers and authorities through the church. That's what it says. Just think of what he said: "The manifold wisdom of God will be made known to that which we cannot see, the demonic through the church. That's right. That's right. It's amazing. I mm. ah. Give it to Josh. I just felt like my heart had something to say. <clears throat> you know, I wonder, it's not something you can trump up. It's not discipline. So I'm just going to ask, you know, maybe we can stand and just ask the Lord, Lord, touch the heart. Put conviction in the heart. Reveal yourself, whatever it is. If there's something in that just grabbed your attention, if there's something that you need to, to deal with because, you know, the enemy's brought division or something or fear, can we stand quick? And I'm just going to pray for us. If something grabbed your heart, turn aside to it. Go home. It doesn't have to be today, but turn aside to it. Pay attention to it in the week. That's how God will bring breakthrough. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit. We open our hearts and our minds and our ears. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that conviction would begin to settle upon your people that empowers. Reveal yourself, I pray. Just take a moment. Just a moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Maybe there's something in your life, it's not condemnation, friends, not at all. There's a bale that needs to be torn down. Just speak it out to the Lord, just under your breath. Don't think it, say something. Don't worry about the person next to you, just under your breath. Father, just, you know, I give this to you, help me. Lord, I break the shackles that bind your people. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, stir our hearts again. Teach us as a people, as a church, to tear down the high places so that your glory will be seen throughout the earth. When division comes, Lord, let us see it for what it is and let us stand as one That old song, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. Make us one, Lord. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Let many mantles, I pray, begin to rest on people. Let us worship you, Lord, in secret. How we love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen.